at uh, we're this is podcast fifteen. We're back at back at the connected MIT Enterprise Things Connected Things Conference. The Amazing MIT. event. Mark Thurman, our co-host, is running this thing. You're doing a great job. You're like you. a fish in water. A fish in water. MIT Media Lab. Yeah, yeah, the MIT Media Lab. Yeah, we're yeah, on the fifth us. floor of the Media Lab. So we've got five hundred of my closest friends, roughly, that have <laughs> signed up to. Uh, I know about. It. Five people here, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. not that much. And most of them, many of them are hiding their face when you most, come most by. Most of them are walking in sunglasses. They look like they just had like plastic surgery done or something. <laughs> yeah, they just right. don't want to be recognized. Yeah. Wearing hats and scarves. And but no, we've uh, we've been at the Connected Things event. It started earlier today. We have three great keynotes. We had a, and we've talked about this on prior podcasts. So we had a gentleman from General Electric from GE yep. talking about yep. what to do with machine data. We had an amazing speaker from Dubai, North Suite. Sweet. Will, we, forget, we, we, we mentioned her in the last yeah, podcast. Yeah, so she'll, Sweet. she'll, okay, she'll be uh, recording a podcast with us sometime uh, in the near future. Yeah, and I think she doesn't want to. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll, see. We'll, we'll coerce her. <laughs> You After know. Marty does his podcast, she'll, then, she'll uh, do one just to rescue the uh, failure of the podcast. That's right. And we have a bunch of panels. We also have um, uh, a good panel with, I mean, a good uh, keynote with Dirk Didaskalou from Amazon. Yeah. Can try and, I did a podcast with him on the MIT site, but we can try and do one yeah. with him as well because yeah. it's pretty yeah. animated. And So who's great, with us today? Who's with us right now? So we're with an old friend of mine named yeah. Marty Sukel, who has been, um, he was instrumental in... Uh, investing in one of the companies that I was part of and was a valued board member. And you're yeah. still friends? And we're still yeah. friends. Yeah, still friends. And uh, Marty is... Uh, remember you went to the Met Bar with us once and remember the Met That's Bar right. in Natick. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So he is a CPA by training. Yep. So he's a finance yeah. guy by training. Yeah. He's uh, involved in lots of cool things in, in, in the world, but... Um, Has he ever failed at anything? Well, we don't know, but he's a Silicon Valley-based guy, so he sees he, he sees, sees failure. He sees a lot of success and a lot of failure. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for the introduction, Mark. I think what I'll talk about that kind of segue into your topic is I managed a uh, corporate venture capital fund yeah. for eight years. How big was it? Uh, it was at the time about thirty million dollars in capital. Okay. Wow. It was a captive fund. We had one corporate limited partner. Right. And the mission of the fund was to uh, kind of complement the organic growth with outside technology. And what I want to talk about a little bit were some of the successes we had, some of the failures we had, and kind of went, again, what went right and what went wrong. As a venture capitalist, that that was your role? So you would invest in these businesses? Did you have any operational roles? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, this so, is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had observer rights. I certainly I remember with me, he was not really a full board member, but you were board observer is the way it was structured. For most of our deals, we took observer rights. Right. For some of the smaller deals, we did take board rights. Um, we generally did follow-on investment. We didn't lead rounds. We didn't have the bandwidth to do that. Again, yeah. we were a corporate VC. And I will say from the get-go, what we did right is we set the structure up correct. And what I mean by that, in terms of, I'm talking about corporate VC, our mission statement is to bring technology and, and growth to the organic business. Yeah. And you know, new technologies, new ideas, what's prevalent in the market. And the first thing that, that we did is we set up three legal entities in the US. One of the th- problems I saw with corporate VC at the time was that a lot of them we're closing up shop within one to two to three years, and the reason for it is they set themselves up as an appropriation out of the business development group. So they basically were subject to 
budgeting every year. And at the time, you know, we, we had some rocky roads. We had the, you know, the, the, the 2008 global recession. Yeah. And this money was the first to dry up. What we did differently at the time, I'm going back many years, we started our fund in April of 2000, is we set up three legal entities. We set up the general partner in the US. I will say without naming any parties that our, our limited partner was a foreign investor. And we structured our funds such that they weren't considered or deemed to have a permanent establishment in the US. We had a voting committee in the US. We had control, everything in the US. Yeah. And we did this through three legal entities. We uh, secured the capital. And the thing that really, um, from an ROI perspective, we started, you know, 1999, 2000. We'd set the fund up April 1 of 2000. We started investing toward the tail end of 1999. So we went through some pretty rough times. I mean, the whole telecom oh, mess. Com, yeah. Y2K, remember that? Yeah. Y2K. Y2K, yeah, I bought myself an old wood stove I bought for that. I see. But, but, <laughs> but one of the things that really allowed us to um, actually do fairly well considering the economic condition at the time is that we had this money. So not only did we make investment, but we had money reserved for follow-on investments. Follow I will tell you, we, we you know, our, 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 our main, ch our mission was to bring technology to the parent company. But at that time, I was CFO of the North American operation, and one of my metrics was to return the cost to capital. Yep. So there was an element of profitability and, and getting a bang for the buck in terms of you know covering the cost of the R&D, and again, complementing what was being done internally with outside technology. So, so take a quick break. So I'm now beginning to understand this. You were, though we refer to you as a venture capitalist and your role was in venture capital, it was within a larger entity, a company. And which, which company was it? Can you tell us? Are you, are you telling okay, us or not? Unnamed, you're not naming them, unnamed, okay. Unnamed but you were, with, you were a, the venture capital arm of an existing, presumably fairly large company that was looking both to bring in technology and to, frankly, make some money. Absolutely. Okay. The company at the time, I, I can't mention who it was, but That's it was fine. about an $8 billion global operation. Yep. And um, again, you know, in the Silicon Valley, we were at the forefront of technology. See you, Mark. Go do your thing. And so, and did, was, did your company have more than one venture capital uh, department or arm? No, no. You were the only one? We were the only one. Um, I, I think we, we had compelled management to start this up in the, in the U.S., in the Silicon Valley. We had a pretty big presence in North America to begin with. And like I said, one of the things we did right at the time, and I think was very important to the survivability of our fund, was the fact that we had three legal entities, we had control, management, we were the general partner. And one of the big things was at the time is to, is to remain kind of connected to the businesses. And for the ones that are, you know, hitting their milestones, doing well, but because capital was dry, we could do follow-on investments. And a lot of, um, a lot of the corporate investors at the time, which were, I'll call them appropriations out of business development, yeah. they did not have the ability to, to do follow-on. So, so it was like a one and, yep. they, they one and go, done. But they, what, was, what was the downside of that? What was the downside when you look at your competitors or the companies you were setting up to sort of do better than, what was the matter with a one and done? They couldn't capitalize as well? Or, or businesses failed that shouldn't have failed because of the, they were doing the one-and-done model? You know, at the time, I, I, I think, especially when you're talking about telecom and yeah. the rollout of the internet, I think there was a lot of, there were many companies and many technologies that were a little bit ahead of the curve. 
We had an investment in a company that I will mention in Spokane, Washington. Yep. The founder of the company was um, tremendously successful. He had this, this, this technology for fiber to the premise, rolling out fiber to the home. Yep. And we made our initial investment in 2000. This company went through multiple rounds of funding, and at the end of the day, it took them about nine years to get to a liquidity event. Yeah. But they were hitting on their milestones. They had a deployment you know, in the state in which they were located. And at the end of the day, because there was a lot of progress being made, we were still connected to the business, we could do the follow-on, so rather than getting crammed down, and I mean literally crammed out of these rounds, yes. a lot of corporate guys at the time were doing Series A, maybe a Series B, maybe some seed money, and by the time they got crammed out of the deal, their investment was worth nothing. I can tell you this one particular investment, because we were able to participate, and again, it's a lot of heavy lifting, it's a lot of heavy work, because not only are, do we have to make an assessment of the technology, and maybe the technology is outside of our core competency of the company, right. but the other side of it is evaluating management, doing the valuation, and, and do you want to pay to play? That was the operative term at the so time. So why does that, just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but why does that prevent cram down? Why does, why does participating in later rounds prevent that, or does it simply mean that, well, our prior rounds got crammed down, but at least on this round we're doing okay? That, that's absolutely that's correct. It's the latter. It's the latter, absolutely. Uh, can, yep. Do you ever have a hand when you participate in the later rounds to re keeping the deal from being shaped in a way that the prior rounds don't get crammed down, or invariably do they get crammed down? At the, at the time, um, this one deal that I was referring to raised a total of somewhere around $140 million in capital. Oh, and when you look at the size of our fund, Basically, we were we were lucky to have a board observation role. Okay, yeah. But um, in terms of dictating terms and conditions, that was up to the lead investors. So these yes. are some of the big VCs oh, yeah, in the yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this company went through you know A, B, C, D, E, double E. I mean, I'm not being facetious yeah, yeah. in saying that. But we got in some very good terms early on, and I will tell you, this isn't a success story. However, when they finally, they were acquired by Sienna, and at the end of the day, we ended up recouping about 80% of our original investment. Wait a minute, that sounds awful. It does sound awful, but when you consider all the, and we were the early, we invested from the A round. Yeah. And for the if we couldn't have followed on, that first A round would have been, Oh, you would have, so you have lost to, everything. You have to follow on to save your initial investment. And in our world, we're angel investors, you always worry about that and you always love the, what we call angel friendly or angel to exit deals, where you don't get to the A, B, C, D, E, F. So I, yes, and, exactly. But I had understood so, that, that we tend to invest in things which, number one, they tend not to be consumer products. Yours wasn't either, um, but it required a lot of rounds. But we'd prefer investments that need that first initial infusion of one to two million, followed by perhaps five million. And if you're lucky, they don't need anything else. Or if they need something else, it's um, it's skyrocketing on the uh, hockey stick. And, and the other comment I'll make about something we did right is that even though we, we were corporate VC, we were limited in terms of the companies we could look at at the time because we were there to bring technology that was synergistic with the with parent your, corporation. Parent, yep. But we paid attention to valuation. And even though, like I said, being CFO of this North American entity, I had a target 
rate of return on that fund of the cost of capital of the organization. Right. And that focus on valuation at the end of the day helped us out quite a, quite a bit. What do you mean? What would have been the alternative? Doesn't everyone focus on valuation? We saw deals at the time that um, the, the big corporate VC where I was located in Silicon Valley was, was Sony had a big, big operation. And basically, they, uh, they had mostly business development people, which is great. You've got to have that, you've you got to have support of the corporation behind you. But it didn't have much of a touch point from the finance group. Right. And that was part of the problem. And I will tell you with what, what we did at our company, you know, I was chief financial officer, so that was kind of my, my thing. Yeah. But we also had a big support on the business development side. And I guess what I'm saying, to make a long story short, okay. is to have both of those elements touching this VC operation, I mean, was worth quite a bit. So and, go back to the uh, technology side, because we don't normally think of investors having, you know, the information rights are limited, and I would think the technology rights would be even more limited. So did you have some special rider that was put into your agreements, or are you saying you had you were bringing technology in by giving you a special look-see that might allow your acquisitions group to actually buy the entity instead of simply investing? That's absolutely correct. Okay. And we had a couple of instances where, um, we funded a deal, we got exclusivity on the technology, which in and of itself is a double-edged sword because it'll preclude some other yep. investors. But at the end of the day, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at the successes, one of the issues that we did have that was a true issue was bringing new technology and ideas into the business development groups. It's a very sensitive area. And because this was a foreign company that I worked for at the time, um, you know, engineers embrace their technology like their children. Yeah. And David, when I introduce something new to you and say, here's, you know, take a look at this. This may be a better way to do it. Where we did have a difficult time was building the business case. Oh. And that was tough. One of the areas we were focused on within the, the venture capital fund was, believe it or not, on, on the fiber optic. Yep. Was, um, which was know, new at the time. Which was new at the time. Um, we had the company that I worked for had a lot of passive optical components, yeah. and we were bringing active optics yeah. to the table. Yeah. Lasers, uh, LEDs, you Which know, give pixels. you longer range, better and, signal, higher speed, all that other good stuff. And the stuff. other thing that, that, that we were trying to promote was moving the company up the food chain. Right. So the company's at the component level. Components are components. They get commoditized yeah, commodity. over time. Yep. So let's bring this up with active optics yeah. more into a systems level. Yeah. And it was very difficult to articulate that argument because at the time, you know, there, there, there was a lot of turmoil going on in, in the internet, telecom, fiber optic space. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, and, uh, and the other fluff. part is, is understanding the characteristic of the engineer you're dealing with. And like I said, when I say I've got this idea that's outside of maybe your level of expertise or a little bit different, boy, it was like, you know. It's like trying to teach Ziad. Technet telecom. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm waiting for. The, I'm the oh, failure. Oh, guy. he's the failure guy. Yeah, yeah. He uh, every failure. podcast. He likes, uh, he likes failure. I like to learn from failures. Yeah, he kind of ignores us till then. So sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, so I was going to say at the, at the end of the day, creating business um, was difficult. It was very difficult. And again, I, I think your audience should understand that we had a foreign parent. So this was not a company. Does that change had, things? 
did that change the equation from? I, I think it does from the standpoint of communication. Um, wow. So it means there are some investments. You tended to make more conservative investments because you had to justify them up the food chain. Precisely. And you oh, couldn't precisely. have a opportunistic portfolio. You can't, you can't, you have to follow certain guidelines. Correct. And uh, so tell us about your worst investment. Or the you one can, that I, I will you consider without naming names or yeah, the, yeah. Your, the, a failed investment that you look back and you say there was so much to learn from that uh, investment. Let me give you my most frustrating investment. Uh, frustrating. Uh, frustrating. frustrating is other better. than Mark Thurman. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Airprint. So um, <laughs> yeah. I, I had mentioned that, that we were kind of focused on bringing active optics into the company. And we had a had made an investment in a company um, that is now a public company, and it was developing what's called planar lightwave circuit. It was actually taking, like for example, um, a transceiver, and designing out a lot of componentry, and replacing it with a chip. Yeah. To 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 say from a non-engineering yeah. perspective. At the time, uh, Verizon was very focused on Fios. Yep. We were working, the company that I worked for, were working with the systems integrator at the time, which was Motorola. And at the end of the day, we could not get that company, that technology over the hump with our business development folks overseas because it was fundamentally different than what they were designing uh, in their yes. country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very frustrating. Yeah, yeah because this was a perfect fit for us, right. and they were very, very willing to work with us. And this is a company that went through the whole economic restructure in the telecom space. Yep. And this is a company, I mean, that, that acquired another company that, that had, had filed an S1 to go public for a billion dollars. The company that we invested in bought them for $50,000. And that's, <laughs> that's no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not making that story yeah, yeah, yeah. up. But we couldn't just get over the hump with the business development folks. It was just a little fundamentally different, but considering we had the partners in place, we had the systems integrator was yeah. a client of our customer. Yeah. The good side of the story is the company actually went public okay. and we did okay from an ROI perspective, yep. but this could have been $300 million a year of business to the parent company, which is not trivial. You mean, had you not only invested, but had you gotten into a business relationship? Exactly. But you weren't yeah. the biz dev arm, you were the investment arm. Exactly. That, but exactly is your right. goal, when you, as a corporate VC, is your goal to invest in a business that then would be acquired or have a relationship with your mother company, or you're just about to return on no, investment? No, no, no. The, 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 probably the primary concern is to have a relationship with the parent company to develop technology, oh, really? launch new products. And the company was very accommodative in the sense that we were um, generally putting restrictions on companies about exits or whatever. Right, they could exit to a competitor. Exactly, and, and the whole discussion about ROI is from my perspective as being the CFO, and again, my internal target was to return the cost to capital. And at the end of the day, we had done that, which, okay. is, which is a good thing. Cost of capital, yeah, cost of capital, which means uh, taking into account other investments that might have made. Precisely. Okay. Precisely. So, in, in at that time period, if they had invested in, what would be a reasonable mix that you had to beat? For example, that money could have been put partially in the stock market, partially in bonds, and so you had to achieve a 5% return? 
above and beyond? Our, our return of capital was, was probably between 9 and 11% okay. at the time. So, so it wasn't it was better than nothing. Right, right. It, it, it wasn't, better than you a know, sharp stick in the eye. Exactly. So, yep. so here's a, uh, to understand the ecosystem better, we spend a lot of time with angel investors. Um, and we understand there are venture capital, so I'll call it sort of private venture capital out, uh, out there. Um, you're talking about corporate venture capital. What, do you have any idea the size of sort of corporate venture capital versus, I'll call private venture capital, in terms of dollars invested a year? You know, I can only speak to the time frame when I yeah, was yeah, active yeah, in the yeah, business. And, yeah. and my answer is no, because when you looked at some of the, the, some of the large corporate I'll call them VC investors. Again, they were appropriations out of a business development group. Yeah. So how big is that? You don't know. Uh, so I, it's a, it's a so difficult question. So it varies. Question. I mean, every, nowadays it's very popular, right? All you hear is Samsung Ventures, Google Ventures. It's a very popular arm of a business. But it's still attached. No, no, no. But is it? Is it? I mean, we hear those, but you hear them over and over again. So I'm wondering whether it's even that common, or is it only among the the biggie biggies? For example, yeah. does, corp, does Ford have a corporate? Cor, I, Ford I, Motor Company presumably has one. I bet you every large Fortune, Fortune 500, 500 has that sound correct, Marty? And 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 I'll add a question: a strategic partnership does that ah, involve yes. a corporate a VC or? Or not or necessarily. Maybe not necessarily. In, in, in the deals that we got involved, we tried to, to couple the two together. And, um, you know, in, in, in some cases, you know, the business development could move down the road without the VC, but we wanted to put the two together. We wanted to join ourselves at the hip to these companies. Why? Oh, because uh, if the biz dev people yeah. thought they were worthwhile, then there may be money in it for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And that was the simple thinking. Yeah. So who would drive the deal, the biz dev people, or would you guys drive the deal? We were driving the deal in the sense of we had total discretion in the U.S. to make the investments. Like I said, we, we had Regardless the general of biz part. dev. Exactly. But we, we wanted to socialize the deal, yep. you know, with the business development folks. And, you know, you... And then where were they based? They were, they were based out of... Um, the other country? The other country, but they brought a core group to support our venture okay. capital operation. They brought out seven people at That's one good. point that That's were here in number. North America. So if a pizza a pizza chain had approached you with with rapid, phenomenal expansion plans, would, could you have invested in that? No. Okay, so you it had, had to be You had to stay in the line of your business. Precisely. And that's Precisely. the thing with corporate. Uh, so don't waste your time to pitch a deal to a corporate VC right. that's not in line with what they need. Exactly. And the theory there is, the, th the simple theory there is that there, the, the, the corporation has in-house expertise on this technology or this market. Um, and so that gives the corporation, makes it easier for the corporation right. to do background research and understand whether this is relevant or not. How do the information rights things break out, which is to what extent would a um, potential target not engage you or not allow you to engage them because they were afraid you would steal their technology or you would try to take advantage of them in some way? Well, one of the ways we try to mitigate that somewhat and that can be a very difficult proposition, obviously, for a startup company, was again, if we're, if we're complementing, you know, getting them in front of the business development folks, some cases we, we, 
in in addition to just the VC investment, there may be NRE coming forth as well from the corporate parent to develop a particular framework. So we really try to, to get pretty deep in bed with them. You would, and but sometimes would they resist that? Yes, or, they would. Absolutely. Okay. And then the deals Absolutely. might fall through. Yeah, that that's exactly. Was that exactly. common or uncommon? Um, more common than I would have liked. Oh. And you know, and that, it, right. but it, but it's a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, you, you you gotta you gotta swing at a lot of pitches, and you know the. Um, the, the, I, I think that's the nature the, of investing. Yeah, when I was talking about the failure, yeah, you know this this company the in the fiber optics yeah. space, yeah, that's the kind of thing that we were going after because the the company has some core expertise in yes. optics. Yeah. But again, it's 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 lenses, it's passive components, yeah. and then if we can bring in active optics, lasers, LEDs, sources of light. That's not something that the corporate parent is going to develop on their own from ground zero. If they were going to try to become experts in lasers, that's that, that, that's a non-starter. But is that why it ended up being such a frustration? Because they yeah. realized in the end, you were essentially trying to push this rock uphill. We were trying bolder, to push the rock yeah. uphill. And so you needed, if you were a private VC, you might have had more leverage to oh, yeah, add sure. more money or do things. So I want to shift gears, not to mm -hmm. failure, but... I'm curious about your view on the difference between Boston and Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and and yeah, yeah. culturally approach to business failure. One, one person once told me, well, in Silicon Valley, you fail. They'll give you money. And you're at it again. They'll give you money. You fail again. They'll give you money give again. Give you more money. A failure is not perceived as this huge, disastrous. In Boston, maybe not anymore, but it used to be if you fail, Everybody knows about it. No one wants to do business with you because you're you're labeled. What is you, what's the difference between the two cultures, in your opinion? I, I, on the Silicon Valley side, out in California, it is more relationship based, mm. and I think your comment is true and not true. I mean, if 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 you've totally failed. I can assure you, it's, it's, I think it's going to be tough now to get a second chance. There? Yeah. Oh. But I will also tell you, you know, as a new entrepreneur, starting a, a new bit, trying to get your feet off the ground, trying to get started and established, it's very hard in the Silicon Valley because if, if you're going to deal with a VC, a tier one VC that can take you from, you know, start to finish, they're not even looking at deals unless they know you right. or the deal was recommended to them. Right. By another, if, yeah. if, if you're sending, you know, your your business plan over the internet, you you've got a, a zero chance. But how about if you hurt. start with an angel? Or is there not much of an angel community out oh, there? There is. There, there is. Um, I I'll be honest. I haven't dealt with the angel community okay. that much out there. Okay. I um, know them, and yeah. they're they're very they're. They're well established. They're, they fund a lot of deals, okay. and they're connected to the. They're more VC obsessed there than we are here. What do you mean? Their VCs are stars. Like they're yeah, yeah. everybody knows them, and then so the angels want their deal to go to the VCs to be pushed forward. Here we want the we want angel deals all the way. Yeah. Or, so, so so there's a different. Well, is that because the the uh, so I'm sorry to let you finish your sentence. What you uh, but that, what I think you would have said is the deals are of a nature there 
that an angel deal, I think we said that maybe 10 minutes ago, that we're looking for deals where we can, we can invest one to two, then five, and that's it. But the deals in the West Coast, I tend to think of as, as uh, more consumer plays, which may need further rounds, which you need those higher yeah, and they have rounds. higher valuations there. Yeah. The West Coast valuations that start at eight and 10 million. And right. then yeah. here, right. people immediately, it's a no-go. We like it, uh, we're used to two and three and four and five. And then so, but to go back to the question, culturally, do you see a difference or it's no longer existent? It's a tough question to answer. Um, I, I guess, you know, the, not to sound coy, but the answer is yes and no. It just depends on who you're dealing with. I, okay. I think out here, it's, it's a little easier if, if, if you're coming without data, if you're coming out of Harvard, you're coming out of MIT, you got a you know a good background, good education, a good idea. I think it's a little easier to get traction out here than it is oh, really? out on the West Coast. Interesting, more democratized. And I think your comments yeah. that are right on the money in talking about the valuation yeah. um, out here. I when you you talk about your angel group, maybe they're looking at deals that um, you know. They're not billion-dollar exits. They don't yeah. want the billion-dollar no, exit. Right. They they want to build the business up to a critical mass. Yeah. So hopefully have fifty million, two hundred million. Yeah, we're not obsessed by the billion-dollar. So, uh, but we did get a data point though, by the way, on this because we're I'm doing this. Um, putting together this program in San Diego in the, the prem in next uh, May 1st and the program is is entitled um, raising um, high-tech money for the high-tech startup on the West Coast and there's kind of a counterpart program in September on the East Coast or in Boston and so I was talking to the moderator uh, who's a professor out at, or uh, Lorenzo uh, Innovation Lab at University of San Diego and I said to her you know we see things I, I said the same thing you did as yet I said we see deals that are these days they used to be at five million now they're kind of dead in the two to three million very commonly i said but you guys said everything's like eight and ten and fifteen just coming out of the block she said no they're not anymore she said we see deals commonly in sort of the two to three range which, which flabbergasted me because they, here they used to be higher but now they seem to be lower yeah for these for these angel well startups. i think that silicon valley is struggling a bit in the san francisco area i i mean living there is so expensive so it's this, the whole, if you want to call it, ecosystem is becoming a rough one. Very hard to raise money. You need relationships. Extremely expensive to live. It's you're better off being an engineer in in San Francisco, making very mm, good money, yeah. and being an entrepreneur in Boston. Yeah. And and I'm saying that very subjectively because we're we're we in them. Boston and we we like to have them here. <laughs> so I, got, I want to go back to that question I asked uh, in the uh, last podcast, which was all of a half an hour ago. Um, which is the nature of failure. Um, this is more philosophical, uh, but how do you feel? Is failure the natural order of business, if you will, for startups, or is success? And if it's failure, why? Why would, and I, I think failure is more the natural order. Why is failure so common? I, I, I think there's, failure, when you, when you define failure in a startup sense, you, you got to look at the calculus, and the only reason I use the word calculus is there are so many moving parts in the equation. I mean, your timing has to be right. You may have the greatest idea, and I, I've, you know, like I said, when I was managing the corporate VC, we came across people that had tremendous ideas. I mean, just bright, they're ahead of the curve. That's part of the problem. You're ahead of the curve. 
And the other thing is, you know, the economics. What if we go through another global recession like we did in 2008 and 2009? And what if that's the critical inflection point for your business? I don't think it's a reflection on the individuals. I think most entrepreneurs that I've come across are well-educated, bright, they work their ass off, and they're passionate about what they do. And I think that's a pretty uniform characteristic, but that in and of itself is not going to guarantee success. There's just too many variables in the equation. That's actually the same answer we got about a half an hour ago. Yeah. Holy smokes. We may well, have because, the key of the universe it's, here. It's, it's so true. Things yeah. are continuously moving. Yeah. And, and shit happens. Uh, uh, and shit happens. Yeah. 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 But, but that, my yeah. theory, when you look <laughs> wow. back... You had a simple theory before that they run out of money. Don't tell me this. <laughs> no, 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 no. That sometimes if you have a, a business that took many years, and we're not talking six months, yeah. there are these inflection points where you could have made a different decision that could have led you to a higher probability of success than but you often the self-determinism that. that David keeps, no, no, keeps yeah, yeah. selling, yeah. that if you're going to fail, you're going to fail Anyway, no, no, that, no, I don't know. I think my, that, my, that that there's no point in time where you could have a decision A, decision B, decision B led to no, no, failure, I, no, I, I don't, I don't deny that. But I don't deny that. But my sense is, and, and Marty, maybe you can weigh in, that most of these entrepreneurs and boards mean well and are trying to actually do the right thing. And I agree with you, these decision points exist. It's not until five and 10 years later that we, knew, we then know they were the wrong one because these well-meaning, bright people, educated, are saying, boy, we just came up on a critical point. Should we raise that money for another six months or should we release the product? Ah, uh, you know, we've got to release the product. And they do that and maybe if they had succeeded, we'd all say, what a genius decision. No, but the ones but that succeeded are still around. No, that's the point. My point is that we can look at it 10 years later and say that was a critical decision, but, but it, it, it in the natural order of things failed because statistically 70%, 80% of these decisions fail. Period. It's the natural order of things. I I'm not I, saying it's predetermined. I I'm just saying it's the natural order of things. Uh, um, so <laughs> what do you think? So the last question, we're running, yeah, so out, we're of running out of time. We'll let Marty back. The impact of the founder, the leader, is it gets diluted over time, right? When, you're, when you start, the founder is the only person, let's say. Then you add a board. Then you add a management team. Yeah, yeah. Then you add employees. And then it grows. And then you add investors and the influences. And, and how, how important is it to have the right person at the helm? Oh, it, it's, it's absolutely mission critical. I, I think that, number one, the whole culture of the company starts with the CEO. Yeah. One person. Yeah. And I am not an advocate, I hate to say this and some people won't like it, I'm not an advocate of, you know... Co-CEOs? Uh, well, not no. co-CEOs, but, but, but like, you know, when you get into a larger corporate environment, you've yeah, got yeah, HR, yeah. Why yeah, yeah, policies yeah, yeah. and procedures. What, what, what a fired. CEO can show is by his actions, he can yeah. drive the company. Right. And I'm always an advocate of if you're, let's say, less than 100 people. I mean, there's no line in the sand, but everybody sees what's going on. And when you see who gets promoted, yep. what they did, what they yep. accomplished, the yep. economic value they bring to the business, when they see who gets let go, yeah. that carries more weight than yeah. any written procedure setting in a book. And it's the CEO that sets that dynamic. And I think that CEO is mission critical. And when you bring in people around him, you've got to have a CEO that has the balls, that has the, the confidence to manage that whole process. And it's a dynamic process with a lot of moving and parts. to keep a culture 
that fits their style. So exactly. weigh in, if you can, on what seems to be happening at Facebook. And again, I can only do it from what I see in the news, and I don't think this is a political question, but it seems like decisions were made at Facebook which made it easier for data to migrate from the user space to outsiders. And it seems like perhaps that came from on high, but again, I don't know what the facts are. Is that consistent with what you're thinking, or is that, would that be inevitable I, anyway? I'll give you my opinion, yeah, which is a non-expert opinion, opinion none of us but I think you know, when you're growing a company that fast and that big, there's a lot of unintended consequences of what you do. You can't make any decision. There's no decision that's made with, well, I shouldn't say no decision. Very few decisions are made with 100% certainty. Yeah. And that's a truism. Yeah. And when you've got a company like Facebook that's growing at an exponential rate, I mean, they, they're, they're done a lot of acquisitions. They've done a lot of great things. Yeah, yeah. There are unintended consequences that you can't model. You don't have the time to model. And, in, you know, in some cases, you, you try to figure out what are the, the biggest issues. And I think part of it was just the acceleration, the rapid growth of the company. And I think as a CEO, you know, Zuckerberg just has to come forth. Be forthright, be honest, say we made a mistake, and fix it. Yeah. No. So it, I agree, I 100% agree, yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. you cannot, the CEO of a super fast growing company cannot be on top of every right. detail and make right. the okay. right decision. So let's go back. Everything. I'm going to go back to the, just to, to one second, onto what we were talking about a minute ago. Facebook will do fine through this thing. It'll be, uh, it'll continue to grow like crazy. But let's say in the billionth of a percent chance it goes under because public opinion turns against it. I don't think that's going to happen. But say all that happens, and uh, two years from now there's no more Facebook or they end up being bought by Microsoft and they're a fraction of what they used to be and they're merged in with LinkedIn. Um, we can then turn back to this trivial decision. I think there was a decision point at which whether Zuckerberg or somebody else was involved will say that was the key decision. And it turns out at the time, as you guys just said or suggested, well, by the way, you you said decision. you said they're going to survive. I did not. No, no, I'm saying they will survive. But I'm saying you think. Well, that's. I don't that's think they will survive. Oh, I, I think they survive. will. Oh, they, they're. Oh, how do we know? They might survive because they own Snapchat oh, and no, they own survive. other things. Oh. But Facebook, as we know it, oh, you is, don't think is, so? Oh, dead in terms oh, of this no. pure startup. I don't think so. Uh, uh, now no. it entered into the dark side. No, no, no I don't think and so. I, I mean, I think I, they did enter the dark side. I don't think they're going to fail, though. Marty, no, they're not, they're not going to shut down, this but they're, a, he's not they're no in. longer the, this exciting young, oh, this exciting yeah. company yeah. that some yeah. others are. They're, some of the apple, the, so, uh, so the apple in the Garden of Eden here. To all the startups who listen to us, now is the time to start something new. And, uh, I mean, yeah. I know all my kids, no one uses Facebook. Really? The younger generation does not use oh, Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is used outside the U.S. quite oh, a bit yeah. and, and for corporate things, but and so, yeah. so uh, and they were very right I think to they're buy. Too big to, I think they're too big to fail. Uh, sure, sure. So let's call it quits. Okay. Marty, <laughs> many thanks. This was thank great. Thank you so much. Well, this was fascinating. Was, hey, it was simple. <laughs> hope to see you again. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.